Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us on the podcast once again today to help us break down every angle of the 2022 U.S. Open men's singles draw is a returning champion here on our Crack Racket shows. A man you know best as an editorial producer for all things tennis.com and tennis channel. Of course, he is clearly fresh off a soul cycle class where I can only imagine he was killing it as he always does. It is our friend David Kane, David Hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. It has been far too long. How are you doing today? It has been far too long. Unfortunately for the viewers, I think they found out that the only things I like more than, oh my God, I totally blanked on my bit. But it's, <laughs> but it's fine. I'm glad to be back. We're doing a second take of this. We're seeing how the sausage is made. But I, so you'll have to, you'll have to find out what I meant in, on the Patreon version, because I, I've totally forgotten what I was going to say, but anyway, I'm glad to be back and happy to be previewing the, the men's draw of the 2022 US Open, a, a draw that I think will be significantly less chaotic, although the bar is very low, having been set by the women earlier this week. Well, here's something that will pick up your spirits. And yes, this is take number two. And I want you listeners to know that take number one, he delivered a brilliant 25 minute bit where he went into character and it was really an audition for SNL and he passed with flying colors. Lauren Michaels called and actually asked for the never only for the Patreon take. But here's something that will raise your spirits. And it's a comment we got on Apple. And I always appreciate all of our listeners who leave comments. Shout out to you. It means the world to me. Uh, But this listener on the Mini Break podcast feed, which is where you are usually featured, although today, of course, we have you on the Great Shot podcast. What a privilege that is. It's from a guy guy or woman whose username is 80s Villager. uh, Villager, Excuse me. Shout out to you, 80s Villager. Thank you for the comment. It's titled Lonely Hearts. And it says, still a big fan of Andrew. I assume he's referring to me. My name is Alex. I appreciate Andrew. It's fine. I don't mind, but still a big fan of Andrew, but now only listen when he has a guest on, especially Kane or Gil. He also said, oh, excuse me, Kane, Nate or Gil. It's certainly a thrill. Shout out to the rhyme. Shout out to you, 80s Villager. But first listed is David Kane, who only enjoys Andrew when you are belong, uh, alongside of him. So, my friend, it is great to have you back. Um, and hopefully that does raise your spirits. I would, yeah, I would like to give a shout out to all of my fan. Yeah. <laughs> I am hoping to win over a few more of you by the end of the tournament. Oh, I missed you. It's good to have you back. And thank you, 80s Villager, for the comment. Seriously, to all of you listeners, constructive, whether it's positive, whatever it may be, we love hearing from you. However, we can make these shows better. And you can ask Super Producer Daniel Westoff. We were in the car together for, I don't know, 16 hours over the course of the past 12 days, driving to Pennsylvania, to Cleveland, back oh, home jealous. from Cleveland. Yes, we had a great time, but I ran him through. It was, a, and I mean, we do this from time to time. We do live together, but I was like, I have plans for the mini break after the U.S. Open. I want to change up how we do things, bring some structure in, work in some segments. I want to play. Like, I think good loss, bad loss should be a staple of every podcast. And again, bringing some organization to the show, we were brainstorming all of these different things. So shout out to Super Producer Daniel Westoff for his tolerance of me and just a little sneak peek of what we have in store for all of you listeners moving forward. But of course, given the fact that super producer Daniel Westoff and I, our Cracked Rackets team, were was on the road for the past 12 days, we did not have time to do our usual previewing of the U.S. Open. We didn't get to talk contenders, dark horses, Americans, all of that, of course, before the draw comes out and then we work in our draw preview as well. We're going to try and sneak all of that in into this draw preview podcast. So it's going to be a slightly different format than these draw previews clearly are, but we are going to introduce 
some more structure in particular compared to our women's singles preview draw, which we previewed first. That was more of a workshop. I think I fine-tuned things here for our men's singles preview. What we're going to do, A, is divide our previewing into two separate podcasts. We'll preview the top half of the draw, the bottom half of the draw in different shows. David has been kind enough to loan us his time to be and is willing to do both shows. Shout out to him. But again, we're going to separate things. We're going to look at each quarter, though. We're going to look at the contenders in each quarter's the dark horses, our favorite first round matchups, answer a couple of questions in each section. Before we do that, though, and we'll do that on this on this podcast only, David. Since 2003, is this the most open men's singles Grand Slam event? I mean, certainly Roger Federer from at you know Wimbledon 2003. From then onward, his era of dominance sort of bleeds into Rafa, which bleeds into Novak. There's a brief Murray blip, but of course Novak Rafa have been the overwhelming force at the Slams since 2015, and obviously there have been blips of Federer in there as well. I mean, there is no Novak in this draw. Rafa played you know limited action in Cincinnati and we don't know how healthy he is going into this draw. Medvedev's looked fine but he hasn't looked as good as he did in 2021 or even 2019 which was really his first breakthrough season and then there's a bunch of guys in Tsitsipas and Alcaraz and Felix and Sinner and you know you feel good about but maybe not great about I think this U.S. Open men's singles draw is as open as it's been, any slam has been in my time covering the sport since 2017, I suppose, when we've had this podcast. And I am very much looking forward to that fact. Where are you on that argument? I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that this year's Australian Open was similarly open. I mean, we didn't expect sure. Rafa to hit the ground running as quickly and as efficiently as he did at that event. And then having now that he's won it with hindsight, it feels like, well, Rafa won. It was a you know, typical big three error slam. But I think certainly with the lead up to the U.S. Open, knowing that it was unlikely that Djokovic would play, not seeing a lot of Rafa. I mean, Rafa did at least win a warm up event leading into the Australian Open. So he was at least present um, in the lead up to that tournament. And so I think, yeah, looking at the draw and not seeing, you know, Daniil Medvedev playing as dominantly as we've known him to play on hard courts, it does feel like this is the most open men's draw in certainly in quite a while. 2003 U.S. Open is a big one for me. It was my first U.S. Open that I was watching sort of with, you know, the intense scrutiny that I now apply to most major draws. So yeah, it certainly does feel like the kind of well, the kind of draw I've been waiting for for a while, to be perfectly honest. Where I would disagree with you with the 2022 Australian Open is that Daniil Medvedev was still playing that well. So certainly he didn't have the extensive run into the Australian Open that you get leading into this U.S. Open, but he was coming off of that U.S. Open title. He looked good in ATP Cup. He looked good in the buildup to his run to the final. And again, is up two sets to love and love 40 on Rafa in the third set to take a break lead and to really put his foot on the gas. And so it did feel like we had a definitive favorite. I want to run you through the odds, and I have two sets of odds available to you, but because you're the guest, I'm going to offer you a menu here of choices, our appetizer before we get into the draw that is the main course here at this 2022 U.S. Open. Do you want to try and guess, we'll play a little game of guess the odds, do you want to try and guess the DraftKings odds or the Tennis Abstract odds? I would go DraftKings because Tennis Abstracts is way more nerdy and stat-based, and so they're a little funkier. First of all, you know I'm terrible at guessing, but hit me with whatever. That's so false. You're very good at guessing. Don't sell yourself short. Listen to 80s I'm, I'm good at being critical. I'm not great it, at guessing. I'll tell you this. <laughs> Andrew thinks you're great at guessing. And so I would uh, – he's going to take your word for this. So if nothing else, do it for Andrew. Um, all right. Let's go with DraftKings because Tennis Abstract gets a little funkier. Um, who do you think is the odds-on favorite right now? The odds on favorites. Well, I guess Medvedev. You are correct. Don't sell yourself short, my friend. Westoff, give him some sort of applause. He deserves it here. He's putting himself on the line. And, give me something, you know, Westoff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We applaud people who put themselves on the line. Now, he's plus 225. And why is that number relevant to you, David? Simply because Novak Djokovic has come into these slams of late minus 150. Like, they will take him over the rest of the field. Now, they're not doing that with any one player. Medvedev is plus 225. Do you want to guess who's next closest? Nadal. Nadal is plus 400. You're two for two, my friend. Third? 
Um, let me just pull up the draw because the top three four seeds: I'm... Medvedev, jo- uh, Medvedev, Djokovic, Medvedev, Alcaraz. Nadal. Okay. Yeah, Alcaraz, Alcaraz is the number Cicero. three seed. That feels like a trick question. Um, or is it a trick question because you think it's a trick question? That would be so boring if DraftKings just went down the list of the top three seeds. It feels like they'd have to take in something into consideration. How about Kyrgios? Kyrgios is fourth. A very good <sighs> guess. Plus 900. And by the way, <laughs> on the women's side, Sviantek's plus 400. Uh, Halep's plus 700. Then after that, it's like 16 to 1, 21s. You can pick essentially pick your 15 favorites on the women's side. And as long as one of them wins, you're going to make money. Um, I feel like I'm a decent shot to win the women's yeah. tournament. <laughs> Bet on me, guys. Uh, yeah, it's not a, it's not a horrible bet. Um, Kyrgios is fourth. Third is Alcaraz. Trust your instincts. He's plus 550. The last one we'll end with because those are the four definitive favorites, I will say. Those are, you know, anything under than 10 to 1, they think you have a serious shot at winning the tournament. Who is fifth? Nori. Nori is not in the top 10, according to DraftKings. Now, he is my pick to win the U.S. Open, spoiler alert. Wow. So Nori is sixth, according to Tennis Abstract. So the nerds like what you're thinking right now, David. Um, fifth is Stefano Tsitsipas, 14 to 1 odds to win. They're the running out of ideas, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, they certainly liked him in Cincinnati. But the point is, do any of those five names, Medvedev, Nadal, Alcarez, Kyrgios, Tsitsipas, feel like definitive tier one favorites, as we like to say. Like, you are certain quarterfinals without doubt, but you are certain they are going to be, you know, in that final weekend of action, semifinals, finals, and in the mix to win the title. I would say Medvedev, but I am most concerned about his draw, primarily, you know, the Kyrgios projected fourth round. I feel like if he was in a different section of the draw, I think he'd be, certainly if he was in Nadal's section, I would be putting him, I would be penning him in because I feel like with best of five, just the way he's played these hardcore, the last several hardcore slams dating back to 20, 2019 US Open when he made the final, I feel like it's just been such excellence from him that I would, I would really be most confident in his abilities to make it deep. But Nadal has is rusty and coming off of an injury and playing on, you know, at a slam that has been successful for him in the past and other times has not been, I don't want to overestimate Alcaraz anymore. I feel like I made that mistake the last two slams. And I would, I would want to overestimate Sitsipas too. Just this, that this feels like a vibe mismatch him in the U S open so far. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't overestimate him either. Yeah. I mean, by Medvedev standards, it's been a fine year. This has really been the first year since his ascension again at the end of 2019 where he finaled City Open, Canada, Cincinnati, loses to Rafa in that five-set U.S. Open final where things sort of steadied. You know, the hold percentage, 86.6%. Still above his career average, but worse than last season. The break percentage, which... You know, he's been injured for parts of the year, so you take it with a grain of salt, but it's around his career average this season. You look at him from a record standpoint, he's 34-12 and 12 overall, winning over 74% of his matches. But again, these last two seasons, he's flirted with, you know, last year he's over 80% and high 70s the year before that. He's, you know, again, in a vacuum. He wins Los Cabos, loses three sets to Kyrgios in Canada. Good loss, bad loss. Three sets, Kyrgios, Canada. I didn't think that was a bad loss. No, I would, say, I would say that's a good loss. Yeah. It's one of the few you're going to get from me, but yes, a good loss. Tsitsipas, three sets in that semifinal in Cincinnati. Good loss, bad, bad loss. Okay, bad. make the case. Yeah. Explain. This is an opponent that he's really had the better of the last couple of years, particularly on hard courts. This was Medvedev's moment to really, you know, rejigger his momentum and head at the U.S. Open. Doesn't get it done. He was up a set in that match, wasn't he? No, he loses the first set 7-6, but he was he, he had came back. Chance. Yeah, yeah, he came was back up in the three second, love, right. I believe, in the first or whatever yeah. it was. I mean, yeah. he certainly had plenty of opportunities. And then obviously coming up, winning the second set, probably almost worse, to be honest, than being up a set because you you derailed the momentum that Sissipas had. He's not, not notoriously the most fantastic closer. So you would have thought that Daniel would have figured that one out. You know, for all for all the talk about him being a great hardcore player on the tour level, it's always it's a bit of a mixed bag. He was talking about media day, how he doesn't like the balls at Indian Wells, Miami, hasn't been an overperformer there. It really is. He's quite the Australian Open and US Open specialist. Not bad places to peak, but you know, certainly messes with the algorithm a little bit in terms of where we place him heading into these big tournaments. So here would be my counter. He served horribly against Tsitsipas. He made 49% of his first serves. And I think the longer that match goes, I think he finds his rhythm on the serve. I think the longer that match goes, the further it exposes that Tsitsipas backhand return. He was returning extraordinarily well in that match. 
you know, Medvedev played bad, Tsitsipas played well, and and Tsitsipas still only won that match in three. And I just think three out of five, this is a guy you trust on a hard court more than anyone else in the draw because you look for him these past two, three seasons, again, on this surface. In 2019, he goes 46-13 and 13 on the hard courts, but again, he lost, you know, prior to the World Tour Finals. I think it was th- uh, four total matches. That was like 32-4 and four, uh, down the home stretch of 2019. Of course, 2020 semifinals, U.S. Open, and then 2021 wins the U.S. Open, and start of this year, he finals the Australian Open. This has been the guy on hard courts, and you know, again, a three-set loss to Kyrgios that wasn't bad, a semifinal loss to Tsitsipas where he played bad, a loss to Rafa in the Australian Open final where he was a heartbreak away from two sets and a break lead. He has still been that good this year, even if it hasn't even if it hasn't been as pretty as years prior. I, I do think he should be the number one favorite going into this draw, particularly given Rafa's health. Like I, I do think the odds make sense to me. That said, I guess we're starting with Medvedev, so let's get right into his court, and we can start working into some of the other contenders on this list as well. You look at Daniil Medvedev, the other seeds in his section. Certainly the one looming above them all is Nick Kyrgios, the number 23 seed, whose first-round matchup against Tanasi Kokonakis is the matchup many are perhaps looking forward to most uh, in the first round of this 2022 U.S. Open. Of course, the highest seed in his section is number six seed Felix Ogier. Aliasim, who of course was a semifinalist at this event last year before he was knocked out by Daniil Medvedev. You look at some of the other interesting name seeds. You've got Demonauer, Hachinov, who we'll do our 30 for 30 on at some point, David. You've got Carreño Busta and our Roberto Bautista Gut, Nicolas Basilish Vili as well. Who is the single biggest threat to Daniil Medvedev in this section? Oh, curious, without a doubt. I mean, I feel like it's fairly obvious that if he makes it to that second week, that that's the, that's the Labor Day weekend match that everyone will be wanting to pay big money for on the men's side, you know, absent any other uh, big matches involving Venus and or Serena Williams. I think that's going to be the one everyone's going to want to watch. It's going to be that night session match. And it'll really be a big test of see what Kyrgios is made of and how he can carry this Wimbledon momentum at the U S open with points and everything on the line and how he'll, how he'll match up to that occasion. I feel like it'll be a really interesting one, but I do think absent Kyrgios this is looking like a solid section for Medvedev, just but the the strength of the threat that is Nikurios makes me gives this really the only thing that gives me pause heading into the second week for uh, for our world number one. See, I think this is the most interesting and most difficult section of the draw, and the reason I say as much is, and I know you missed this, David. Our top 10, 15, 20, 25 clubs. You've got a lot of guys <sighs> in the mix in this section of the draw. Obviously, Medvedev, and right now on the ATP Tour, there are 11 guys who rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. I actually went to top 26, but do you want to know why I did that, David? Because I wanted to include Casper Ruud, because I didn't want to be disrespectful to you. So I went to the top. It's good to be back. I skewed my stats for you, my friend. Um, but Roberto Bautista Gut and Pablo Carreño Busta are two guys who just cannot be discounted. A, because they're the sort of guys who have always given Medvedev fits, where he has to generate a little more offense and he has to be aggressive. And, you know, again, those are two of the 11 guys who rank top 26 in both hold and break percentage. Carreño Busta obviously showed us in Canada. RBA's just been sneaky solid all year long. A lot of, you know, quarterfinals, semifinals, beating who he's supposed to beat. You look for him overall this season. Just another 31 in 12 years. Winning 72% of his matches. That's the highest win percentage in his career. You look for him in terms of first matches and events. He's 13 and 2. He's beating who he's supposed to beat. And again, those are two guys. Uh, let me look at the career head-to-head quickly. I probably should have done this beforehand. But again, we've been on the road here. You look for him against Carreño Busta. Medvedev's 5-2. and two. Okay, that one's not as bad. Against Bautista Gut, he's 1-4. and four. So just again, you have those two guys on the radar. Nick Kyrgios obviously just beat him in Canada. Beat him at the City Open back in 2019 as well. And then there's Felix. Freaking Felix, who... When he hits his servant forehand well, his he is in that power tennis country club where his best can be that good. And 
he look semifinalist last year. You look for Felix more broadly at the majors of late. You know, quarterfinals in Australia to start the year. It was a good run for the round of 16 for him at Roland Garros. Obviously, the disappointing loss to Cressy at Wimbledon, but that match was what it was. The three out of five set seems to be the best for Felix. It gives him a little more time to fight through his problems. Obviously, physically, he's there. I think this is a really tough section for Daniil Medvedev. That said, I mean, you're right. Of all of those threats, Kyrgios is the one that looms largest because he is playing that well right now. So that was a lot of nice numbers. Um, <laughs> one thing that you did neglect to mention is the fact that Karina Busa's first round opponent, he is 0-7 in head-to-head with. I just looked that up because I was a little curious. And his yeah, but first round opponent is none other than do- yeah, Dominic, Dominic Team, Team Sorry 2020 US Open podcast. champion. True. It does feel like, you know, it feels like the kind of match where, yes, Team has not played his best assuredly, almost pretty much since he's won the U.S. Open. At the same time, he does feel overdue for one of those magic moments that we've seen Stan Wawrinka pull out. We've seen, you know, even Amarit Safin to go back even farther. One of these, like, everything just comes together at a slam and against an opponent he's never lost to in seven previous meetings. It does seem like the kind of thing there, you know, a Monday or Tuesday, whichever day the top half is set to go. Uh, One of those, you know, uh, agonizingly long five set matches that Dominic team just somehow pulls out at the end, just because everything is propelling him to do so. But that said, I do think the Cranibus is obviously a dangerous opponent for Medvedev. It just feels like, again, that best of five, as we, as we have so often said has helped the big three is, is something that I do believe is going to help Medvedev against these more difficult opponents that being curious almost, you know, exclusively. And then also Karina Busta and even Ojer Aliasim, who learned, you know, the hard way, how difficult it is to beat uh, Medvedev in a best of five match earlier this year in Australia. So yes, it's, I feel like we're going to see a lot of entertaining matches from Medvedev, but I don't know if he's necessarily going to be in that much danger of losing if he's playing well. We're doing these two guys quickly because I know we have a bigger pot on them in the future. And there's just a lot of juice in this section. Where are you with Alex Diemenauer, who, you know, is not that far removed from making that 2020 U.S. Open quarterfinal run. He wins Atlanta, losses to Kyrgios and Felix, which aren't the worst in Cincinnati and Canada, respectively. Two guys with the sort of weapons who have always been the sort of players who give him the biggest difficulties. But, you know, you go back to the Australian Open, makes the round of 16 there before getting knocked out by Yannick Sinner. He's a guy on a hard court, three out of five sets, brings out his best. And, you know, Krajinovic, Lachetchka, who I like and has big weapons, but I don't know if he can hang with Demonauer physically in a three out of five set match. I like this draw for Demonauer. I think he's one of the low heralded seeds where if he were to beat a Kareno Busta, not a bad matchup for him, you know, beat a Felix or a Hatchinov and find himself in the quarterfinals, it wouldn't shock me. There's a lot of cute names in that section. You got Crane <laughs> Busta, you got Dominic Team, you got Sasha Bublik, you got Christian Garin, you got Demonar. It does feel like whoever makes it out of that third round will be an interesting um, fourth round opponent for who you would imagine would be uh, Ogier Eliassim, a significantly less cute section <laughs> opposite Demonar. It is odd that Demonar and Hatchinov are so close and yet so far away, uh, seemingly illus- illustrative of what we've been saying for the last year and a half about the two of them. But I, I do think that's sort of a... Uh, a cool session, a cool section of matchups that I'm going to be paying attention to. Although shout out to Jack Draper, who could be a potential okay. uh, second round opponent for FAA. And that could be an, uh, a coming of age moment for so our, I, our British boy. Will you allow me to nerd out at you? Starting now? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> what have we been gonna, doing for the last 35 minutes? It's gonna, <laughs> It's about to get particularly nerdy because this is really why this section is my favorite part of the draw. And you brought up Jack Draper and it's a perfect segue into it. Some of the first round matches and some of the sneaky things that are going to happen and tell me, you know, I'm going to stop after each take. You tell me if you have anything to add. You can literally just say move on if you'd like. And I want to run through this quickly. Daniil Medvedev versus Stefan Kozlov is 2013 Alex's go-to matchup. And obviously Kozlov's not the same player he wants or prospect that he was in 2013. But, you know, again, he was Daniil Medvedev before there was a Daniil Medvedev. The real ones know that. But you look at this section of the draw. Arthur Rinderkanesh, former AM All-American shutout. But Nuno Borges versus Ben Shelton is just two of college tennis's best five players over the past 10 years. And Shelton, obviously, this past year's NCAA champion, arguably the hottest thing since sliced bread. Everyone has written a feature on him. Everyone has talked about his decision to turn pro. 19 years old, tall, lefty, couple challenger finals. Obviously, the run in Cincinnati. Nuno was 
quietly the no worse than the third best player in college tennis for his four years or his last three in particular and has risen up the challenger ranks has had some breakthrough moments that's the nerd matchup you have any strong takes on shelton or borges not on Borges. <laughs> I'll say that, uh, that Ben Shelton. Yes. I, I did feel remiss in not bringing him up as, you know, what should be one of those cool, uh, potential third round matches. He certainly is carrying that kind of momentum to be that surprise American to make it, you know, on the precipice of a second week of a slam. I don't know if he has enough yet to, you know, conquer a reigning world number one, but it does seem like the kind of, uh, early first week story similar to, um, Someone else that I was, oh, even similar to the kind of idea that the, the kind of logic that would lend to Dominic Team beating Crania Boost is the kind of logic that would lend to uh, Ben Shelton making the third round of the US Open, just sort well, of that early first week magic. Well, Ben Shelton is 28 and 11 on the Pro Tour this year. You know who one of those losses is to? Qualifier E Bing Wu. And the, you know, the 22 year old who was a former top junior in the world. He's 30 and 4 this year, David. 30 and 4. He wins the Orlando Challenger, wins the Rome Challenger, wins the Indianapolis Challenger. I don't want to say breezes through US Open qualifying, but straight set wins over Quarantine Mute and Ricardus Barankis. Those are two top 100 guys who he's beating. He's going to beat Nicolas Basilashvili. I'm telling you that right now. And then he will be favored to beat Ben Shelton in that second round. I'm telling you that's going to be the odds. I'm more than confident about that. Though three, all three, you know, three of the four names, everyone outside of Basilishvili. It's a fascinating section right there. And I'm just saying, Ebing Wu versus Daniil Medvedev. I'm previewing this in advance. It, obviously, Shelton Medvedev will have tennis Twitter going off. But if it's Ebing Wu versus uh, Medvedev, David, be ready for the tennis Twitter nerds to rise because that's the matchup they want, and it's a matchup everyone should be looking out for. Any Ebing Wu thoughts? First of all, I'm just thinking how we're in the first of a two-episode recording stint, and we're met, we've spent a good two and a half minutes meditating on Ebing Wu, a person that I've never <laughs> seen and would not be able to tell you what he looks like. But this is I'll, why you're here, David, because when it happens, you'll say, "Wow, I was ready for this. Holy crap! It actually the preview podcast helped me." I'm going to say, "Wow, that broken clock was right." <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you this: I mean, in a certain with, group chat we're in, there will be a message sent. With respect to Ebing Wu's win over Ben Shelton, I don't know if I can necessarily apply that unless, you know, is a sort of ginormous head-to-head equivalent to that of a Karina-boosted team. I feel like Ebing Wu, Ben Shelton in New York with a, you know, a highly partisan pro-American crowd, I do think that that may impact things a little bit beyond just the fact that he beat him earlier this year. We've seen people avenge losses on small from smaller stages on bigger with bigger spotlights and obviously Ben Shelton's carrying a ton of, you know, big name momentum coming into this U S open. So I don't necessarily think it's as, as guaranteed that we're going to get Daniel Medvedev, but you know, to each his own. Do me a favor. If Ebing Wu beats Vassal's really round one, just tag me in a tweet. Um, all right, we'll move on from there because there are a lot of good ones. Coconut is curious. Do you like that one or is it overhyped? I like. I mean, I feel like it's going to be entertaining. I mean, I, yeah. I do feel like I don't know if Tanasi is really going to make a big push. You know, maybe we could see it going four sets if Kyrgios has a lapse. But I do think, with respect to Nick in the last couple of weeks in general, he's really tightened up his whole mental approach to the game. Where we're seeing him get angry, we're seeing him yell at his box, we're seeing him snap at umpires, and you feel like, oh God, here it comes. Here comes the meltdown. Here comes the tank. Here comes this that. And he just steps to the line and plays a really good point. I mean, that was certainly the case in D.C. and to a large extent in Canada, the way he was able to just recoup, regroup and, you know, continue with his his really solid form. So I I do think it's going to be a pretty splashy one. Um, We'll see how the the energy is on Arthur Ashe Stadium following Serena's first round. So that might also play a part in it. Um, But at the same time, yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be an upset alert for Nick, but I do feel like it's going to be a really uh, interesting match. A lot of good vibes, hopefully from the two of them by the end of that match, hopefully hopefully they make it out of it with their friendship intact. Number one in hold percentage amongst top 50 players on the ATP tour, 31 and nine this season. Yeah. Kyrgios has been that good. Um, JJ Wolf over RBA. Yes or no. So, I mean, not, not to say I'm hoping for a particular result, but I would love to see uh, J.J. Wolf get a big win. I feel like he's got a really entertaining game. Um, go back to seeing him in qualies last year with the mullet. I feel like he's <laughs> really been on the precipice. Of he's tightened it up. The mullet the last- is gone. 
the mullet is gone. He, I think he did it because he want, his mom asked him to. I'm pretty sure we spoke about <laughs> it earlier this, this, this spring. I feel like he's been building good momentum over the last couple of months. He feels overdue for like a big stage, big time win. And he's certainly got the game that will, you know, really electrify, you know, a big court at the US Open. So I hope he gets the big court if, it, if he's been assigned it already. I haven't checked the order of play, but um, hopefully he gets gets his shot and, and, and produces some really entertaining tennis because I know he's capable of it. Reached the third round of the U.S. Open back in 2020 and, you know, uh, tight three-set loss to team in Winston-Salem where he had match points. Tough loss to Rusevori in Cincinnati. I was at that match. The level of play was extraordinary. It wouldn't shock me if he beats RBA, but that's a really tough match physically. All right, last two then predictions, I swear. Draper Rusevori. Rusevori is diet Yannick Sinner, as I've told you before. But Jack Draper this year, I think he's now 41-13 and 13 overall in the year. A couple of challenger titles, obviously the big run in Canada. It's the two best words every coach loves to hear, tall, lefty. And I think as good as the forehand the serve is, the backhand is what separates him and makes him a special prospect, is his ability to drive that ball and how solid he is on that wing. I mean, look. He's a lefty. That's always been a tough matchup for Felix as a potential second rounder. And I think that one, I mean, first of all, I'm not sure he's going to get through Rusevori. Felix versus Rusevori, you may not remember this, David, but of course, the nerd that I am. They played in the first round of the Australian Open this year. It was one of my favorite matches of the season, and it was a five-set win for Felix. The level of tennis was extraordinary. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll ask you about Draper because I think that's probably the biggest name of the bunch, but just that little section in general where I guess all three guys, if I were to ask you to power rank the three, I'm sure Rusevori's third for you, but Draper or FAA, who are you more confident in going into the U.S. Open? I mean, I think honestly it would have to be Felix. I mean, watching Draper play the end of that match against Demonar at Wimbledon, had some really good, you know, good shots, played some really good points, but I think overall may not necessarily be entirely ready for prime time. You know, and we'll see how things have changed in the last two and a half months, but I think there's still a bit of a gap between him and the best in the world at this moment. And I think Felix has obviously played so well at majors this year and even last year. So I, I would imagine that Felix would make it out of this section, barring something totally wild and crazy. All right. Over. Uh, so with that said, let's get into our predictions. and. I mean, am I going to take Draper over Felix? No, I'd probably lean Felix as well. But as you look at this quarter, again, Kyrgios, Medvedev, Felix, all these seeds, who do you have getting to the quarterfinals? Who do you have getting to the semis? It's going to be really boring and say I pick uh, <laughs> who's making, who is my quarterfinals. I mean, I guess ugh, I'll, hopefully I'll have something wilder in the next quarter, but I do think we're going to get a rematch of uh, Medvedev and, and Felix. And I feel like Medvedev would win that one. It's, it's a boring pick. It's the easy pick to make. I mean, like it's the easiest pick. I know Dominic team. We didn't talk about him. I just don't think he's ready for this court speed. Like I, he may beat cranial boosted, but to ask him to get four wins in a row, I just don't see it in him. I will say this court is playing very quickly. We had Ooh. some very short days at, at US Open Qualities. Some long matches, to be sure. It, it felt like every match I was watching went very quickly, but you saw like a lot of matches with seven, five sets, six, four sets, and they were still going under 90 minutes. So it feels like there's between the balls and the court speed. I know Donna Vekic, I was talking to her earlier this summer in DC. She feels like the courts of the US Open are getting faster and faster. So there is that to consider as well. You know, after all of that, I, I would agree with you and say I think it's going to be Medvedev versus Felix, but just to offer a slight disagreement, I think Medvedev beats Kyrgios. I'm going to go with Medvedev Demon Hour, and I'm going to just double down and say he's going to show off that physicality. And yes, the surface is quick, but I think Felix has a, a much tougher path to round number four. I think Demon Hours is a little bit cleaner, and I think he gets through clean or not cleanly. I think that third round match might get tough, but I'm going to take him uh, to get to the quarterfinals just so we disagree, but I'm going to take Medvedev to advance as well. Hey, Cracked fans, we are so excited to be welcoming our friends at Turna back to this show as a supporting sponsor moving forward. Now, of course, all of you tennis fans know Turna Tennis for their world-famous Turna grip, that iconic purple-colored grip you see on the rackets of so many different professional tennis players. But did you also know that they make the tackiest grip in the world? That's right, folks, the brand-new Turna Tennis Mega Tack Grip. It's the tackiest grip on the market. It starts tacky and simply put, stay 
stays tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there. And if you tell your opponent, what do I use on my racket? I use the Mega Tack. You're going to be attacking with that Mega Tack from start to finish. If you've seen anything we do at Cracked Rackets, you know I'm a hairy guy. As you can imagine, I sweat when I play. The only grip that works for me is the Turn of Tennis grip. Of course, the Mega Tack taking things to the next level. How can you get yourself hooked up with a Turn of Grip today? It's simple. You're going to either find it wherever you buy your tennis goods or you can email them directly by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. That's sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets sent you in the email. We would greatly appreciate that as they let you, them know that we sent you there. But more importantly, you'll get a free sample and they'll treat you as family moving forward. Again, you email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets. You get the free sample. You get hooked up with our friends at Turner. Once you use a Turner Grip, you're never going to turn anywhere else. Of course, again, ask them about the Mega Tack, the tackiest grip on the market. Contact sales at uniquesports.com and get started with our friends at Turner Tennis today. With that said, I promise we're going to go faster on this quarter, David, because that last section was just the most fascinating to me. But let's move on now to the Stefano Tsitsipas section of the draw. And again, Tsitsipas fifth, according to DraftKings, in terms of <coughs> to like win the, the event. Casper Rude section of the yeah, draw. Well, there you go. So Excuse your mouth. Section Casper Rude, your number five seed in it as well. The other seeds, Tommy Paul, playing extraordinary tennis of late. Matteo Berrettini's been injured. He's never great at two out of three sets on hard courts, and we can talk about his surprisingly bad record if you'd like but three out of five at the majors you know last year the only guy to really beat him was Novak Djokovic he's been lights out of late you've also got Cressy who you feel like is a particularly bad matchup for Tsitsipas Taylor Fritz who the odds makers the numbers really like it's an interesting section I asked you the same question to start who's the biggest threat to Stefano Tsitsipas in this section Um, I mean, it would, it's between Cressy and Berrettini. I think if Berrettini had had more matches leading into the US Open, I'd probably say Berrettini, but it does feel like, again, if, you know, talking about that first week magic logic, it does feel like the sort of, you know, American hustle, you know, topples a big seed, especially someone like Stefano Tsitsipas, who I feel like has not really captured the imagination of the New York City crowd. He is the one that, um, you know, got a lot of negative attention for taking that bathroom break against Andy Murray. And I feel like there is not a, a ton of love for, for the staff in New York. And so I feel like up against an American who can play an explosive serve and volley game like Cressy, he may be the toughest one for him. And obviously, Tsitsipas has really struggled in New York. So, Since the start of last year, just a little argument for you, Casper Ruud, quarterfinals, Canada, Cincinnati, Miami, Paris, Canada again this year. He has had some hardcore success, but you do feel like, again, on the faster surface, you know, as it's reportedly playing, guys like a Taylor Fritz, the weapon that is his first serve, and just, again, his ability to win free points, and Cressy on this surface, Berrettini on this surface, how their first serves are two of the top five in hold percentage amongst top 50 players on this season. You see why they would be the bigger threats to Tsitsipas particularly. Where are you with Taylor Fritz? Because I could make a case that Tommy Paul has played better than him since the start of the grass court season. Are you, uh, in terms of the Americans, Fritz and Paul, who are both, I think, uh, you know, and Sebi Corda, by the way, in this section as well. Tommy Paul, Sebi Corda, round two match. Is that the third match on Ash? Does that match get the Ash flex? Does the match between where? If it's a second round match between Tommy Paul and Sebastian Corda, does that match get flex to Ash? Or is that Louis Armstrong? I feel like that's an Armstrong uh, mm-hmm. night session match. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously with the expansion of the U S open grounds, we have, it feels like every match is a show court to the point where my yeah, beloved sure. court 17 often gets the short trip. Although there is a really fascinating first round match on court 17 tomorrow between Paula Bedosa and Lizzie Atsarenko. It's a match I'll be watching and I hope you'll all be there to watch it with me. But um, I mean, it's funny. I mean, certainly between Fritz and Paul, they've been compared to one another probably their entire lives mm-hmm. and um, heading into the summer. You were looking at Taylor Fritz based on the way he played at Wimbledon, how close he was to beating Rafa Nadal. But at the same time, Tommy Paul was having a really great Wimbledon himself playing playing at that tournament main draw for the first time and carrying that momentum pretty well through the summer, playing really great in Canada, coming very close, probably should have beaten Dan Evans. I feel like that would probably be the decisive one in terms of determining how great his summer has been. You know, Paul is certainly more charismatic. He's <laughs> certainly more fun to like listen to in terms of an interview. But I do think that Taylor Fritz just has has 
so much more big stage experience in the last year and a half that I would still probably tip him over Paul. But I do think that that um, section for Casper is just rife with Americans who could take him out, whether it is Paul, whether it is Corda, whether it is Fritz, um, you know, just things don't get easier for him the farther he gets. And, you know, going back to Wimbledon, just seeing that forehand that was so efficient and so effective at the French be so really... I don't want to say impotent, but like just lacking that zip that, you know, you get on that slow court. And I don't know if he's going to get that in New York either. Um, so that said, yeah, I th- who's been playing better? I, th- I would probably still say Fritz, um, but a big opportunity for a Paul Fritz fourth round, a rematch of their junior final, because I remember nerdy things too. Uh, this is why we love you, DK. <laughs> I, this is one of those instances where it's nice that the draw is out, because going in, I would have said Tommy's playing better going into the event, but looking at the draw, Fritz has the better draw. I mean, in terms of 16th of the draw, and I mentioned this on the women's side, Pagula and Samsonova are the two players I'm most confident to get out of their 16th. All due respect to Brandon Holt, friend of the show, whom we love here, Stan's not fit enough. Botic does a lot of things well, but he's a great matchup for Fritz because he doesn't have an overwhelming weapon to hurt Taylor with. And if you can't expose that movement, Taylor's just too good at tennis, too powerful. He's going to break you down. There's not a threat to Taylor in that 16th. If he's healthy, his best tennis is better than everyone else's definitively. And even his B-plus game is better than most of the players, in my opinion, in that section. And so you look for Tommy to potentially have quarter round two, to have Casper Ruud as your round three matchup, or even a big serving Timmy Van Reithoven. Let's say he gets through for some reason. It's just tougher than it is for Fritz. And so I think Fritz is the American with the best section. The same argument for Paul applies to Corda because he's in that same section of the draw. Max Cressy has played 35 hardcourt matches in his career at the ATP Tour level. What's his record, David? What is his record? Let's say uh, of the 35 he's played, I'm not, I'm not going to do the math there. I'm just going to say 18 wins. David Kane, don't you ever say you're bad at guessing again. 18 and 17 overall. David Kane, you are a winner. Yeah, I, fans, I wish you could see the fist pump right now. I think he just grew two inches. I mean, this is a moment right here. This is something else. And so, deservedly so, by the way. We have applause in the background for you. That was extraordinarily impressive. The point being, like, are we sold? We get it on the grass courts, but it's a little harder on these hard courts. If, you know, you can stand a little bit further back, have a little bit more traction on that return of serve. Now, again, against Tsitsipas, it's a tough matchup. But I agree. I think if I were to rank the threats, I mean, Berrettini... You look for him when he's healthy. I, know I also he... prioritize like immediacy of the threat. I feel yeah. like that's the first line of defense in terms of like, I think by the time, the farther a player like Sitsipas gets in the, the draw, you feel plays. like it's less threatening. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. Um, I mean, again, outside of that, when I look at this section of the draw, who is best equipped you know, who are the dark horse candidates? I don't know that I see any. I think it's going to be a seed. I guess we should ask about Andy Murray, who has Francisco Sarundolo, the Miami semifinalist, in round number one. How fit is Murray? That is obviously a question we saw last year. It was Tsitsipas, I believe, in the first round. We all remember that match, uh, or maybe not if I'm remembering it wrong. Um, but, you know, do you see any unseeded player making a run here other than Corda, who is a de facto seed in my mind that Tommy, you could put the 29 seed that Tommy Paul is next to Sebi Corda as well. It would be fine with me. Like, I think that's a pick sort of match. I don't think Corda is the unseeded dark horse. I don't know if I see an unseeded dark horse in this section. No, and, I mean, when and, we were previewing. Me. I'm me. I don't see a dark horse. I know this, this is the man who just preached the virtues of Ebing Wu. So I mean, really and <laughs> impossible is nothing. Um, no, I mean, it's funny because we were, we were supposed to, you know, we preview the draw and we give our expert picks for tennis.com where the initial briefing was to pick an unseated sleeper that has since been revised to, it could be a 20 or 30 seed because I think with respect to the way that the draw and the men's game has evolved, you know, your Tommy Paul's or your Maxine Cressy's players who would typically be unseated sleepers are not seated. They're seated mm-hmm. sleepers. So I think those are, and obviously, like you said, Corda is, Corda was a seed at, at the French Open. So, I mean, this is someone who you would expect big things from. And so at the same time, I feel like, um, I mean, maybe shout out to John Millman. Remember when he beat Federer that time here? <laughs> <laughs> I do. We did an emergency pod. How could I forget? Um, 
Yeah. I mean, again, I, I do think it comes down to the seeds. I do want to talk Matteo Berrettini quickly because when you look for Matteo Berrettini, and it is fascinating in best of three set matches, and obviously, as always, shout out to our friends at Tennis Abstract to allow us to pull up these sorts of stats. Matteo Berrettini in his career in two out of three set matches at the ATP level on hard courts. He's 34 and 38 overall. 34 and 38 in the best of three. Now you change that to best of five, he's 21 and eight. And you look at his slam results on hard court. Semifinals Australia this year loses in four to Nadal. Quarterfinals US Open last year, four to Djokovic. Round of 16 US Open 2020 loses four to Rublev. Semifinals US Open 2019 loses in straights to Nadal. I think he's the guy you bet on, on this surface, regardless of the fact that he loses in three sets to Tiafo you know, in Cincinnati or, you know, the fact that he loses to, in Canada to Carreno Yobusta. Obviously, that loss has appreciated in value given Carreno Yobusta went on to win the event. I think Berrettini is my pick to advance out of this section because I do think he's uniquely built to beat Stefano Tsitsipas. And I just don't see a dark horse candidate who's going to challenge him. So I'm going to take Berrettini to advance in this section now. I've had the Fritz-Paul debate in my head, and I'm going to go with Taylor Fritz simply because I think the draw broke better for him. So I'll take Taylor Fritz to reach the quarterfinals. I'll take Berrettini to knock him off. What say you? What's your prediction in this section? And anything you'd add? Well, it's definitely easier to pick outside the top eight seeds because – when the seeds are sits a and rude and we're on a hard court that's playing quickly, it feels like a bit easier to, to go a little wild and crazy. But that said, I'm going to go a little bit against the grain. I still think that we're maybe going to be due for a little bit of revenge from Tommy Paul. And I feel like maybe Tommy Paul will make it to the quarters and play. Ooh, boy. Um, yeah, it's rough because you're looking at, you know, who is more experienced between Cressy and Berrettini. And you think if he can, you know, with the best of five, having opportunities to sort of play his way into the tournament, you know, had good losses, you could argue, leading up to the U.S. Open, is so consistent at slams. Yeah, I'm going to pick Perrottini as well to make the semifinals, but over, right. over Paul instead of Fritz because I I admit, Paul might end up out-coaching uh, Taylor Fritz because I don't know if you heard, but tennis is an individual sport and you can't, you can't deal with people having coaching from the sidelines. It's just not what the sport's about. That's my impression of Taylor Fritz. Uh, for, was... more, for more, tune in on Patreon. Yeah, that was that was good. They're going to give you a role in the new iCarly reboot. Um, I would say shade. That, yeah, you no, know, you weren't supposed to call that. That was supposed to be for only the real ones who know. Um, yeah, exactly. Come on, we can't make a joke. Forty-four minutes into a draw preview, what are we doing here? Um, yeah, I look. It's funny because I had Berrettini versus Paul written down, and then after going through the draw more closely, as I have here, I switched it to Fritz. So we almost agreed on everything. We do agree that we have Medvedev Berrettini in the semifinals. I don't love that. So we'll find a way to change things up in part number two of the show, where we pre- preview the bottom half of the draw. I will say quickly, since we didn't really nerd out in this corner as much. Nishioka Davidovich Fokina is going to be an entertaining round one. Like, talk about two athletic shot makers who like to do funky things, who like to play to the crowd. That's going to be a, that. That's the one that's going to be spontaneously loud on the grounds. How many times does Davidovich Fokina fall? <laughs> I'll ask Twitter. Um, <laughs> that or center a licks to the center of a tootsie pop. What's the bigger question in 2022? Put the we'll put the over under for Foki Falls in a best of five match in a quick court. We'll put it at six. Okay. We'll what's, a, at six. what's a win for Andy Murray in this in this slam? I don't I mean I mean Murray wanted to be seated coming into this US Open, right? Like he still sees himself as like a top 30 player, which is adorable, I guess, at this point. But I mean, I feel like for him, anytime he wins a match, anytime he shows up, it still kind of feels like a win because at this point, unless until he proves otherwise, he just does not seem to be a factor long-term. So anytime that he comes to these tournaments, wins a match on a big court, you know, it feels like a win. I don't know how satisfying he finds that and how much longer he'll be satisfied to do that. But I, it does feel like there is a ceiling at this point with how much he can do physically, even mentally. I mean, we've seen what happened. I hate to compare him to Leighton Hewitt, but I mean, we saw what happened, you know, with late stage Leighton Hewitt, how how much more nerve wracking it was to, you know, gather up these wins at slams. So yeah, I don't know if I expect too much of him. Um, I guess I'm waiting for him to surprise me at this point. Yeah. I mean, I, so who's more likely to win Murray versus Francisco Serenolo, Wawrinka versus Quarantine Mute. 
I would still say Murray over Serendolo because I just, you know, Murray's a better hardcore player than Bobrinka, although they're both US Open champions. So <laughs> I know, but I feel like, <laughs> it feels like Bobrinka is still working his way back in a way that Murray is at least, he's at least in better match shape than Bobrinka. So that's why I would say that. All right. With that in mind, then we both have Medvedev, Berrettini, semifinal prediction, Medvedev versus Berrettini, who you got? Oh, Medvedev. I, mean, yeah. I think once Medvedev makes it to the second week, he's my he's he's the Serena Williams of this men's draw. If he can make it past the, make it to the second week, he's my pick to win the title. All right. I, Spoiler alert. <laughs> that would be you think. Okay. I mean, do you want to go on the tangent? Do you think Serena gets to the second week? Oh god. I mean, <laughs> she's she doesn't have an unwinnable. She doesn't have an unlosable. She doesn't have an impossible draw. I mean, even though she's got the world number two, that world number two right now is Annette Contavite. So it, you know, it's sort of the worst of all possible worlds in this situation because Serena is able to is potentially still able to really have her way with the number two player in the world. But at the same time, physically, is she ready to play that kind of a match? I don't know. How will Annette get ready for that match? Will she feel be feeling like this is her opportunity or will she get nervous? You know, how will opponents be reacting to Serena? What will likely be her final US Open? I mean, there's so many factors and how much just, it's just, there's so much that it's really impossible. But at the same time, looking at the draw on its face, it doesn't seem implausible to say that she makes second week given who is surrounding her. Fair. For what it's worth, I also have Medvedev over Berrettini. Now, that means we both have Daniil Medvedev in our finals. Do we both think he is going to win the event? You will have to listen to our bottom half of the draw preview. We'll talk about our final in the at the end of that bottom half preview. But this is where we're going to end part one. Before we do, David, anything you want to plug? What should we expect from you over the course of the next two weeks? It's great to have you on the grounds. I can tell you already I've enjoyed what I've read. So you have pretty dense coverage already for me over the last couple of days. I'm pretty much flying by the seat of my pants. I don't have a ton of things planned, but I did release a one-on-one with Caroline Garcia that I did over the, over the last couple of days. I released that today. I did a, a presser with uh, Brandon Holt. Shout out to Brandon Holt, making his first US Open main draw, son of our very own Tracy Austin. Go very cool moment for him and had some really great things to say about his mom as, you know, as both mom, coach, champion, competitor, all those things. So those are probably the two things I'm most pleased with. And going to be gathering a lot of content because it's going to be a long two weeks and we're going to be rolling that out for months at this point. Yeah. And you know, we will happily have you back on the show should you have any time, but it does sound like you will be jam-packed. That said, you've been kind enough to offer us your time for part number two. So with that, we will wrap this show and get to that bottom half preview. David Kane, it is always a pleasure to speak with you. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperice.com.